Would you uh, help me just thank our band this weekend for their heart of worship? Thank you guys. Thank you guys so much. You'll have to stop playing or I'll just go right back into that song again. Um, I was telling them there's this older song uh, when I was growing up that we used to sing that uh, talks about, I'm coming back to the heart of worship because it's all about you. Did I, did I make I mess the word? See, I missed a verse. That's why they didn't let me sing it a minute ago. Um, but there's this incredible song that just is a reminder to us that, wow, what we were made for. You know, we started this series a couple of weeks ago, and we talked about how that's my church. The church is the bride of Christ, that we are somebody, that when Jesus talked about a church, he didn't talk about a building. He didn't talk about a program. He talked about people to people. And that's what this is. This is the church. You know what's crazy? That means that if this weekend we all met at a high school, guess what we would still be? The church. If we all met at Walmart, the church. It's about why we're gathering and who is gathering. And so that's key. And then last week we started talking about what's the purpose of the church. If we are here and we know who we are, then we have to know why, why are we here? Why do we exist as a church? And one of those purposes is that we were made to worship. And what an incredible reminder that God has used us to proclaim his goodness in this earth. That he wasn't created by us for us, but we were created by him for him. And that was a great reminder for us. This week, I want to talk about this, that love is greater than limits. Love is greater than limits. One of the greatest things that we were made for as a church, as this ecclesia or this community gathering around the goodness of God is that we were made not only to love God, that's worship, but to love each other. To love each other. That that is one of the primary purposes. There's something powerful that connects us when we get together. Uh, I nerd out right now on documentaries. Anybody, you just want to confess that you watch too many documentaries on Netflix, Amazon? Right. I, I mean, I deep dive on some of these so much that I, I'm convinced, like, Facebook is always listening to me, you know? <laughs> Um, I mean, it can be about cryptocurrency or animal habitation or the planet's warming. I mean, all this stuff. And I am just in, right, until I watch the next documentary and it counteracts the one I just watched. But, but I've been all about this. And so because I like watching these informational documentaries, I decided to do some of this with Braxton. And I've shared with you before that we watch some of these predator prey chases. But there's other parts of these documentaries that talk about these graceful creatures that decorate our sky, birds, right? Now, the only time you probably don't like birds is when you see their blessings on your car, right? Most of the time you're like, wow, they're beautiful until they're not, right? But I love birds. One of the greatest things that I love to do is to see them in formation, right? You ever see them? They never fly in a circle. What do they always fly in? Like a V shape, right? And anybody who grew up in the 90s, you know the flying V from the Mighty Ducks, right? And so I always just think it's so beautiful how they do it. And, and so why, why do they do it? And I watched this documentary and he explained some of the formation of how they call out. And sometimes one calls out to the other and then it becomes the leader of the flying V and all of this. But, but I just wondered what is like the energy? What is the, the power in, in this V formation? And as I began to research it, here's some of the things that I found out. I, I found out that that wing pattern, not only is it, creating a, a V and it's showing leadership and direction, that's powerful, but it's also saving the energy of the other birds. 
that because of the flapping or the draft of some of these large birds, that when they fly, they create this, this draft. And some of you, you love NASCAR, so I'm getting in your business. You're, you're, you're tracking now, right? But they begin to drift behind these other birds, and it allows them to save energy. Then what will happen is later on, the birds who have more energy will then fly in a different part of the formation, creating energy for the other birds. It is this care that takes place. If God, who created humans and created creation, nature, if he created each of us, if we can see the power of connection and community in something as simple as birds, don't we think there's power in the creation and the connection of us as humans? There has to be something that's beyond the genetic level of this connection that we feel. You ever had that moment where you told somebody, you're like, man, I love you now, but when we first met, I hated you. You ever had that? It's like if it was just personality that connected us, some of us would never be friends with people that we're friends with, right? Some of us were friends with people that our hobbies are completely different, right? We're better at things or worse at things, but, but what's greater than that is there's this connection, not only a loving connection that comes from us, but if all of us were deep, raw, and honest, we would say that one of our greatest human needs is to be loved, to be truly loved on a deeper level, that someone would fully know you and fully love you. And so this weekend, I want to look at how love can be greater than our limits. You can write this down at the top of your notes this weekend is, the church is a group of purposeful people in my life. A group of purposeful people in my life. What does that purpose look like? If the church is a group of purposeful people, and I think this is a really important aspect of this ecclesia, this community, this church that Jesus started, is that we're not just a meeting of people. That's important. See, sometimes people will say, well, it's just wherever a group of people meet. No, scripture is very clear. Jesus says, wherever that you meet or two or three are gathered in my name, when there is a commonality of purpose. So that means this, that yes, we can all gather at the high school in the name of Jesus and be the church or at Walmart and be the church. But if just you three go to Walmart and you decide to discard the name of Jesus and pick up the card of gossip on your way, then you're no longer representing the powerful purpose for which we were started, right? So we have to recognize that I'm part of the church, but it's when I'm moving the power and the purpose of which Jesus created all of this. One of my favorite passages in all of scripture and stories that represents this powerful love happens in the second half of scripture. It happens in the book of Mark. Mark is one of the gospels. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they're these groupings of stories that tell us about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, but they tell us about these uh, things that happen along the way, and one of the things that happens is so key. It says this in Mark chapter 2, verse 1. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Everybody say, back home. Jesus is back home. It says, soon the house where he was staying was so packed. It was what? So packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. The room is packed. It's full of people. If I'm not careful, sometimes I judge the health or the, the goodness of a church based on its population, not its purpose. I get really excited. I'm like, man, church was so packed today, right? But just because it's so packed doesn't mean that there was a lot of power and purpose. 
Hopefully it is a representation of hope that's been found and help that's taking place. But it could be the room could be so packed and still miss the power that's in place. This room is packed. It's packed full of people. Jesus is back home. It says this. It says that while Jesus is preaching God's word to them, four men arrive carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. A paralyzed man on a mat. And one of my favorite things about this passage is this. is It doesn't say, and four men... It doesn't say, Ed, Scott, Drew, and Kyle came carrying James to this gathering where Jesus was. We never get the name of the four men. Spoiler alert, you never get the name of the paralyzed man. All you get is four people's purpose and one person's problem. Now here's what's interesting to me. It says the house was so packed. The house is packed, but only four men are carrying the paralyzed man. Could you imagine the number of people who could have kept her, carry the load? This weekend, for our purpose, I want us to recognize that although Jesus is in a house preaching God's word, that the church that we desire to be is actually taking place outside the walls of that house. See, Jesus could actually be in the middle of it and us miss his power because we neglect our purpose. These four men come carrying this paralyzed man to Jesus. Now, I love this because even the writer who has a relationship with Jesus, knows of his goodness and his graciousness, still lets us know that this man had a problem. And he had a problem that he couldn't fix. There's all kinds of news around about Jesus. Everyone knows about him. Everybody's excited about him. But four men stopped and picked up a guy who had a problem. You ever been a guy who had a problem? I mean, I'm not just talking about like, oh, I had a bad day. I'm talking about like you had a bad few years because you couldn't kick that same problem. This guy had something that had been with him forever. It says this, that they came carrying him. I love that they didn't just tell him that they were going to see Jesus. Could you imagine today? You're on your way to church and there's a guy on the road holding a sign that says, uh, please give me a ride to church. And you stop and you say, hey man, guess what? Guess where we're headed? He's like, where? Like, we're at it at church. He's like, awesome. He gets ready to open the car door. You're like, no, no, no. We just wanted to let you know where we're going. We'll be back later. These guys could have just passed him, but they came carrying him. Here's what I think we can draw from this, that love lifted the man instead of limiting him. Love lifted the man instead of limiting him. There are plenty of people in life who will stop at the surface level of relationships. They will not have a relationship with someone simply because of a problem, right? That's surface level. Listen, it doesn't take a spiritual gift, God's spirit, or any really uh, relational ability or social awareness to see what people are bad at, right? You can do that. You can get in a conversation with somebody just for a moment and be like, they're kind of brash. They talk too much. They talk too little. They're awkward, right? We, we can do that. That takes no real ability, but what takes great ability is to have love that sees beyond the problem. Love that sees beyond the limitation. Love that says, I love you. This right here, it is, it is a problem. It didn't change that fact, but it moved beyond it. They decided to lift him instead of letting it limit him. Real love sees deeply and lifts expectantly. It sees deeply. They saw this as a real man. Many of us in this story, we can even be drawn to the paralyzation of the man more than the fact that he was a human being created by and loved by God. These four men had a deep enough relationship with Jesus to stop and see this man the way that Jesus would. 
I think there's a couple of things that these four men did that if we're going to be a church that loves beyond the limits that we have to really take on as a purpose. All right. The first thing I think they did is they raised their expectations. They raised their expectations. They showed up not just to hear Jesus preach. They were showing up with this paralyzed man to see Jesus heal. Oh, the room was packed full of people who wanted to hear him speak from the the Holy Scriptures, from the the Torah. They wanted to hear him explain that Jesus had an ability to speak on the Scriptures away, knowing what had before or could after. Why? Because he wasn't just one who spoke of the Word. He was the Word made flesh that dwelt among us. And so you had the Word explaining the Word, and he's doing this. And people were showing up to hear it. But these guys are showing up to participate in it. That there was actually this healing bomb of Gilead that's here among them in this house, in their city. And they see this guy. And they said, if we can just get him to Jesus. They knew they were better together. They were better together. The raising of their expectations had to work together. Four people carrying a man. I can tell you right now, if I tried to just hoist somebody over my shoulder, we're not getting very far. Right? It just doesn't work that way. But when you got four people who are committed to carrying anyone... When they say, I, I bet we can get him to Jesus. I bet we can do this thing. There has to be an expectation. I can guarantee you this. They didn't carry that man all the way to Jesus just to walk him back home the same way. They raised their expectations that Jesus not only was a great prophet, not only was a great rabbi, but that somehow he was also a great healer. So what did they do? They raised their expectations and they expected obstacles. They expected obstacles. Here's how we know, because it says in verse 4 that they couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, because quantity doesn't always equal quality. And there's a crowd around Jesus, but their courage is not contagious. And so the crowd is actually preventing the paralyzed man who has a problem from realizing his purpose and getting to Jesus. And so the crowd has now become a contentious part of this story. I need you to recognize we will be one of two kinds of churches. We will be the church that is the crowd on the inside or the four people carrying the paralyzed man on the outside. The crowd on the inside is there for them. Four people on the outside with this paralyzed man making five people, they're there for one purpose, to take this man to Jesus. They expected obstacles. It says this. So they got there. Because of the crowd, they couldn't get in. So they dug a hole in the roof Above his head, then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Well, they had to expect an obstacles because here's the thing you and I both know. Number one, how did they dig through the roof? How? You think he's just fingering out through the roof? I don't know, maybe. But they expected an obstacle because not only did they get through the roof, but what's the second part? They had to lower him down. What do they lower him down with? It's not as if these guys just walked around with a winch and chains. They had to come prepared to lower this man who had no strength physically, who could not help himself. They had to expect an obstacle and choose to say the obstacle won't stop the opportunity. The obstacle won't stop the opportunity. Listen, for us to be a church who really loves people, there's going to be plenty of obstacles that hit along the way that will make us think, well, maybe I'm just not supposed to do this. Do you know that difficulty or, uh, or problems is not always purposeful? Sometimes the difficulty isn't God's directive. It's just something for you to get through or to get over. If I'm not careful, every time I try something or I try to love someone and it gets hard, you know what I'll think? 
oh, the Lord just doesn't want me to do that. No. Guys, all throughout Scripture, we see that God helped humans do what was beyond them. If we go back to the very beginning and Hebrew people and they crossed through the Red Sea, how did they do that? Because God enabled them. They got to a problem and God gave them purpose to get through it. These men, they have a problem. This paralyzed man has a problem, but they decided the obstacle will not prevent the opportunity. Well, the only way they can do that, though, is this, is they had to have proximity to him. You have to be close, right? There's no way to dig through the roof and be like, all right, buddy, you got it from there? It was risky. It was risky because here's the thing they had to do. They had to increase their contact. They had to increase their contact with this guy. Oh, there's no pretty way to carry a man who can't help himself. Listen, we don't know how long that man had laid on the mat. We don't know how long he had been there that day, how dirty he was or how clean he was. We don't know if he had the ability to get himself to a restroom or not. We just know that this man is stuck. He's stuck in this moment, and they pick him up, and they carry him. Now, the way I've always pictured they carried him is kind of like how my son Braxton will carry a diaper to the trash can for his little brother. You know, it's like this. They just carried him out. Four people, we just carried the corners. I don't think that's the way they carried him. I think they embraced this man because they had to love him so much to choose to carry him to Jesus, to dig through a hole in the roof. And so they increased their contact. I think they hoisted him on their shoulders. I think they hugged him and embraced him. I think there had to be a physical contact. And and we don't know how long he was there. And we don't know what he smelled like. But they decided that that wouldn't be a problem, that they would increase. Their proximity would create this passion and we would see a purpose take place. It says this in verse 5. It says this. It says, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. Seeing their faith. Whose faith? Theirs. Wait, that means it wasn't just the paralyzed man who had the problem. Maybe he had faith. We don't even know. We don't even know if he asked for the trip to go to the house. We just know that these four people had so much faith that Jesus could change this man's life that they hoisted him on their shoulders, and they took him to Jesus. And it says, seeing their faith. Their faith. Oh, would we be a church that loves people so much and loves Jesus so much that we believe if we have proximity that creates passion and passion that causes purpose to take place, if we're close enough in this thing, that we're going to see Jesus do what only he can. Tender hearts will leave the mark. Tender hearts. People who... Choose to love in the dirty, gritty alleys of life. Anybody can love the storefront you, but you need somebody who really loves you to love the back alley you. These people loved this man so much, they take him to Jesus. Seeing their faith, he says, my child, your sins are forgiving. I love that Jesus does what only he can first. Sins being forgiven is something only ascribed to God. This is a statement of who God is to this man. These men's faith has now caused Jesus to proclaim, I'm I'm the God. I'm God in the bod. I can not only heal this man, but I can also forgive his sins. How do they do that? They did because they started serving. They started serving. Oh, that's big. Because here's the deal. You can have expectations. You can have awareness. You can have increased contact. You can do all these things. But until we serve the least of these, we won't see any fulfillment of that purpose. How did they serve? goes on and says, But some of the teachers of the religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, What is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. 
Only God can forgive sins. So the people in the room are not the ones with faith. It's the people who served that guy, dug through the hole in the roof and lowered him there, that Jesus saw their faith. Their service was a hinge that opened the heart. Listen, you can't serve and be suspicious. No, see, let me break it down. Serving is not just an action. Serving is an action that reflects a motivation of my heart. My friend Daryl Killo hands out programs at the door. You know why he does that? From the very first day he decided Anchor Church was his home, he said, I'll help wherever I can. What was his motivation? This was his church. And in a family, you serve. So these men, their hearts are revealed by their action. Why did the teachers of the religious law, why are they not on this faith journey? Because guess what? They weren't serving, so they're suspicious. They're just there checking it out. There will always be people who come around and kick the tires of faith, but never let it be said of those of us who call Anchor Church home or call ourselves followers of Jesus that we end up being the suspicious ones instead of the serving ones. Because we will either be the church inside that house or the ones who dug through the roof, put a hole through there, and lowered a man to Jesus. Goes on and says this. So Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking because he's, he's Jesus. And he says, so he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? I love this part of the story. Verse 10. So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Pause right here. Here's what's incredible. Jesus just said the Son of Man. He just told them, hey, I'm human, because that's all they see him as. Son of Man is a representation to say human. Be like you and me just going, we're just humans, right? Jesus says, okay, son of man, human one. Okay, I know you think Joseph's my dad. You think I'm just speaking from the scriptures. But the son of man actually has power on earth to forgive sins. Now Jesus is declaring who he is because of the faith of these four men about who Jesus had always been. He goes on and says, so I'll prove to you that I have all authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up. Pick up your mat and go home. Ah! Mel, this, I told you this is my favorite story, right? This is my least favorite part. This is my least favorite part of the whole story. I want him to say, like, Jesus said, pick up your mat and throw it to the side and walk on, right? Because you no longer need your mat. Doesn't that seem better? That seems like super powerful. Like, and Jesus said, pick up your mat and throw it at the Pharisees who were in the room. You know, Jesus said, pick up your mat and throw it in the fire and burn it. Jesus said, pick up your mat, carry it, and go home. Home's where the people kept laying me on my mat in the beginning. Oh, my mat will matter, but, but could you imagine what it was like? Comes walking in. Whoa, uh, what happened? I bet he started, hey guys, how's your day going? Good, how's yours? But he walks in. The people who had always treated him as a problem. The ones who had dropped him off and the four friends. Didn't say mom and dad carried him. Four, four, four guys carried him, Right? He walks in to his home. He gets back home. He's carrying his mat. You know why I think Jesus made him carry his mat? Because your struggle needs a story. Oh, your struggle needs a story. Listen, 
too many times in church today, we want to dismiss this thing. Oh, I want to like, I want to mark on my connect card. Uh, God help me drink less. And then it's like, he does. He helps me drink less. And then what do I do? I'm like, whew, I drink less, right? Just hide my mat. Anybody know whose mat that is? No, no idea. But there's something purposeful about when you've experienced this, that this matters. We don't know exactly what the man did after. But I think watching this story take place in our church over the last three years, that I have some assumptions. So I watched one of my buddies come to church on Easter weekend and make a decision to follow Jesus. I watched another buddy of mine come on Easter weekend and decide to make this his home church. Over the next six to nine months, they both got baptized, and then they started inviting their friends and family. And Then another buddy of mine showed up a few months later. And What was weird was they didn't hide their mat. Oh, no, whether it was the McKinney's or the Selfs or the Killos, the McAnally's, Jackson's, all, all these people said, I'm just going to carry my mat. I carry my mat through the streets. Hey, what are you guys doing this weekend? You guys should come with me on Sunday to church. What? Yeah. Come on, you, you guys have got to come. I'll never forget the first time we played cornhole down at Swamp Tells. This man walks me all around Swamp Tells. Hey. This is my pastor. I'm like, uh-huh, yeah, that's me. That's me. I never had that happen before. You know what it was? He had his mat. Hey, listen, I'm telling you, God's changed my life at that place. He just carried his mat. And he went where? Back to where people knew him. Oh, listen, you don't have to run from all those people. Run back to them. Because you know what's crazy? Is God will use this mat as an opportunity for you to now carry somebody to Jesus. I don't know the way the story played out, but can I just give you the, the non-King James Version, the NKJV, the My James Version? Here's what it is. That man left and he went home. And they saw what happened. They said, what happened to you? He said, they took me to Jesus. Oh, I heard he did like fishes and loaves, but, but I thought he was just a good teacher. No, I'm telling you. Look, I can walk. I don't need my mat anymore. Oh, the mat was even his source of income because he would go and beg. He doesn't need that anymore. You know, I've got purpose now. I'm known by my purpose, not my problem. And I just got to think that somebody in that home said, do you think he could do it with me too? Do you think, do you think I could get in? I got to think that guy said, grab a rope. <laughs> We're going back. You can't get through the door, but I'll get you through the roof. Because love doesn't have limits. And here's what you and I know about humanity. How we're wired, our deepest longing is to be loved. But you know what happens when that deepest longing is met and we feel loved? You know what you innately do. You love. Oh, the greatest testimony of the local church is that we love each other so much. I love that it wasn't the teachers of the religious law who left their pretty gathering and went out and found the paralyzed man and did this charitable work and brought him in. It was people who got this guy and took him to Jesus. They could have done it the nice way. They could have, pardon me, pardon me, can we get through to see Jesus? They were just radical in their love. They were ambitious. They decided to serve. They decided to do all of this. Why? Because they loved. Would we be that kind of church? He says, we're better together, but we can't stop it just loving who's in the room. we got to love each other this way. 
But then we got to love people out here because they're part of the church that Jesus designed. They just don't know it yet. It goes on and says this in verse 12. This is the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, We've never seen anything like this before. Never seen what? They'd never seen a roof top party happen. They'd never seen a paralyzed man walk. They'd never heard a proclamation that Jesus could forgive sins. Now, I don't think the paralyzed man was perfect, but now he had the power of his mat. This weekend, it's not just the families I named. I could go all across this room. I'd start with me. I tell you about when I was 17, graduating high school, I was supposed to go off to this Bible school thing. My friends were going to it. I was going to it. People had given me graduation money because I was going to go be a preacher, you know. And the night after my graduation, I go down to Panama City and party. And then I come home and I party some more. Then I party some more. I wasn't really partying. I was on the outside. On the inside, just had a deep longing to be loved. But I, was, I began to be known for my problem. Right? People knew. I can remember one Mother's Day. I was standing right in this section and something different about the lights then, but man, it was hot in the room and I was sweating and you could smell the alcohol just coming out of my pores. I smelled it. I knew other people smelled it. I was embarrassed, but I didn't know what to do, man. I was just, I was trying to numb a pain that I had. That pain caused a problem. Me and my dad were walking and talking this week and we were talking about that season, how hard it was for him. It's hard for him because he loved me, but he knew something had to wake me up. He was apologizing this week. He said, I'm sorry that we kicked you out of the house. And I was like, ah, I'm a dad now. I get it. You know, I don't know how you didn't kill me. You know, <laughs> we were talking about it because, man, there for a little bit, I was sneaking the church and wash up or I'd stay at Don McDonald's house or Tim's house. I'd just couch pop around and. I'll never forget, there's a family in the church, though. They loved me. Oh, they knew all my junk. They knew all the dirty, gritty details of everything I had done. The rumors? The rumors weren't even as bad as the truth. They knew it all. You know what they did? They finished the loft in their house. They said, hey, come move in with us. I said, well, what does that look like? Like, I don't have any money. I don't have a job. I'm not going to that Bible school. I'm done with this. I'm not doing church. It's okay. You got to do two things. You got to wake up when we wake up, and you got to take communion with us. After that, you're on your own for the day. I remember the first day getting up and partaking communion, the Lord's Supper, the representation of Jesus' broken body, his blood poured out for me. I was kind of ill about it. I was like, oh, here we go, you know. Day after day, though, I realized they loved me more than my problem. They helped me get registered in community college. They helped me get a job working at the VF Jeanswear plant. Mexico, you're in here somewhere. I've worked with Mexi. She'll tell you I wasn't a very good employee. <laughs> I'd go into that job, man. I still was drinking privately, and I think the people I lived with knew, but they just kept loving me. And It took me a while. It wasn't overnight. 
I wish I'd had that Matt story. I wish it had been like, I just came in and people ask about, where did you turn your life around? When did it happen? What moment? I wish I had had that Matt moment. I came into church and I was like, God, please help me not drink anymore or be an idiot and make stupid decisions. And then it was like, boom, he did. But it was a process. Sometimes the power of your mat is that you just stick around until the process is complete. And so I went to community college, and I was going to be an accountant, and then I was going to be a nurse, and then I went to video school, and I was going to be a film director. I, spoiler alert, I'm none of those. Um, I changed my major. I changed my job. I was, I was a bank teller, and Man, every day everybody loved me because my money was short and we had to figure it out and I, math and stuff, you know. But every day, dear, I, I kept changing jobs. I changed schools twice. I mean, all of this stuff, it was chaotic. Listen, loving people is messy. I remember day after day, they would just love me. They would pray with me. We'd wake up when they wake up. And what I do? Took communion. I remember eventually... They got to that moment, they set me down with my parents. We had a meeting. I think we went to Birmingham and we had lunch and we began to work things out. It's a healing process. Man, day by day, things got better. Eventually, I came on and began to intern at the church. And uh, that job changed several times too. I mean, I was a video guy and a youth guy and I got fired like seven times. Pastor Jeffrey would get me back on at the church, you know. But I, it was messy. Listen, every time you love, it's not instant. Don't, don't buy into the story for the result in the moment. Buy into it for the result for the long haul. That the man walked out. Sometimes what happens in the room has to happen over and over and over again. Why do I tell you that? Because some of you are loving messy people right now. And it's hard. Oh, it's so tough. It's tough. I bet their arms were aching, their legs were hurting. It's tough. But can I tell you, from one messy person to a bunch of people that love messy people, it's worth it. Oh, I've been able to travel across the country now. been able to stand in rooms of thousands and tell my story and see people recognize that Jesus loves them. Why? Not just because a miracle happened in my life, but because a group of people decided to be God's miracle to my life. Listen, loving, messy people, problematic people, paralyzed people, people who can't help themselves, it's hard. It's difficult work. But there's a reason God called you to it. Of all the people that could have seen the paralyzed man, these four saw it. It says a lot of different things that they did. But can I just give you the last one that I think for us is imperative? It's this. is that to truly love means if I see the need, then I meet the need. Everybody didn't have an opportunity to give me a place to live and to fumble and bumble and find my purpose. But those people did. Neil and Sharon Dawson loved me, cared for me, gave me a place to live, fed me. I wonder for you, who is it in your life? Who is it in this room today? Who is it in the next service? That God's called you to love and not label. And if you're not careful in the midst of everything, you'll think it's just messy and it's time to discard. Instead of discarding, ask God to help you use love to discover who they really are.